Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, of thy Greetings this Lord's Day, Christmas Eve, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. What a fitting place to be on this day as the world celebrates the birth of the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, peace on earth. As we come to our fourth week of Advent, having used our patriarchs to help us understand how the world waited for the coming of Christ in hope and faith and joy. Today we're going to talk about love as we light our final candle here and we think about this. You know, true love is the fountainhead of the best of God's gifts. God's steadfast love endures forever. But everybody say, God's steadfast love endures forever. God's steadfast love endures forever. Today our call to worship comes from Psalm 136 when you Read it in the King James, uh, it is a read and response, and usually there's something said, and then it says, for his mercy endures forever, right? Remember, we've done this before. But uh, I was reading a different version of it uh, because I wanted to, I was, I was wanting to, to understand something, and in the ESV, it doesn't say, for his mercy endures forever. It says, for his steadfast love endures forever. And uh, so we're going to do a read and response in our call to worship today. Are you guys ready? I will say some, one of the, uh, I'll say the verse one, I'll do the first part of it, and you will reply, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay? So Psalm 136 says, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love to him who alone does great and wondrous works. Steadfast love endures to him who by understanding made the heavens. Steadfast love endures to him who spread out the earth above the waters. Steadfast love endures to him that made the great lights. Steadfast love endures the sun to rule the day. Steadfast love endures the moon to rule the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel from out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm 
To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. He overthrew Pharaoh and the host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. He led the people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. He struck down great kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. And he killed the mighty kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites. For his steadfast love endures forever. Og, king of Bashan. And he gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. Oh, don't fade out, guys. Come on. It's he who remembered us in our low estate. He rescued us from our foes. He gives us all food to eat. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. This was a praise, an anthem to God for His goodness. And may we remember today that indeed His steadfast love endures forever. Let us pray. Lord God, we love You. We thank You, Lord, that Your steadfast love endures forever. That Your mercies are new every morning. Lord, that as we gather together here today, Lord, that You are here with us in our midst. Lord, You are ready and able to forgive us of our sins Lord, you are ready and able to speak to us, and you will. Lord, you are ready and able to change us by the power of your Spirit, and we know and we expect that you will. We pray today, Lord, that we would give thanks to you in all these things, for your steadfast love endures forever. Amen. remain standing as I read my text for you from the book of Numbers chapter 11. And I'll tell you my text is a little bit strange. Uh, I won't stay in the text really uh, in my message today. There's some things in it that says, there's some things it says in here that is the reason I want to read it. But my sermon today is Moses, everybody say Moses, man, midwife, And even mother of a nation. All right, Numbers chapter 11, verse 10 through 12. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses was also displeased. And Moses said, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore. For have I not found favor in thy sight that thou lays the burden of all these people on me? Have I conceived these people? Have I begotten them that thou should say to me, carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father bears a suckling child unto the land which thou swear to their fathers? Let us pray. Lord, we gather today. And we long to hear your voice. We long to hear your word. As we look into the 
story of your servant Moses, Lord, I pray that we would see some things that you have wanted us to see so that we could be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. This Advent season we have talked about hope, faith, and joy so far as we have looked back at the time before Messiah came into the world to remember how they waited for His arrival with such great expectations. We looked at Joseph, Abraham, and David and as their stories carried us back to the painful and desperate time which could not have been survived without the hope personified in Joseph, the faith personified in Abraham, and the joy that we have seen in David. But today we will look at the greatest of all of God's gifts. As our brother Andy read for us from 1 Corinthians, there are a lot of great things in the world, but the greatest of all of God's gifts is what? Is love. Today we look at this gift, and we will look at Moses as we look back on how God made one man a picture of His love. Now, if we were doing a word association today, and I were going to say a word, have you guys ever done these where someone will say a word and then you say the first thing that comes out of your, that you're thinking of? I'm not going to do this. I don't want to psychologically analyze anybody today. But if I were going to say uh, a word and you were going to say a word back, I can sort of guess like what you might say. Like if I said day, somebody of you might say what? You might say night, right? Someone might say sun, you know? If I said happy, some of you might say sad, right? Others of you might say laugh or smile, right? This word association. I got to thinking about the word love and the words that people might say if you said love. Many of you might say a lot of things, but I don't think any of you would say Moses. If if I ask everybody to say it, would anybody go, Moses, he's love, right? In fact, now that love has come, No character in the Bible can even come to mind but one. Because everybody, the love that anybody else ever showed anybody has been completely eclipsed by He who was love that came in the flesh. Amen? But you know, even though Jesus personified love, what love is... It's not always so clear even to us, even after we've seen it. You know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Love became flesh and dwelt among us. Yet, when we think of love, we don't think of Christ, oftentimes. We say the Word, we use the Word on a, every day, we use it. When we hear the word love, we more often think of tenderness, desire, deep admiration, passion. But all of these streams are not love, but they are mere tributaries to it. Love is the river and the fountain. And it is so much more than how we feel about something or someone. Amen? That's not what love is. You can love ice cream, a book, or a movie, or a man can see a woman that he really doesn't know a lot and he can be overtaken by her beauty. Kind of like Mitchell back here. He's... He saw Shelby and he's, he's overtaken by his love for her. But he's going to understand more in the days to come what love is. Uh, and although, you know, people can be in love and they can say and they can even use those words. Love is not how we feel. It's not how we think. It's what we do. Everybody say love is what we do. Love is what we do. 
Love is not something that makes our hearts uh, merely burn or our desire to rise or our minds to work on how we can get that thing that we love. Oh man, I love, you know, chocolate almond ice cream. How, where, where do they, where, is there a place around here that sells that? Or, oh, I love uh, this or that, or I want this, or I like this. You see, we use these word, we use the word love in all of these ways. I really wish we didn't. I wish Christians would find another way of expressing this because to use a word and make it so meaningless really by using it for everything, I wish we could change how we talk. I wish we could sanctify the word love, that it would not be trivialized like we do today because we have lost the meaning of it altogether. In doing this, we have made virtues that were forbidden in the very last of the Ten Commandments, we've made them virtuous. To want something, to desire something, to look at it and feel you have to have it. We call that love. And the Bible calls that what? It's covetousness. Oh man, I want that. I, oh, and we call that love. That's not love. Love is not desiring something and seeing how you can get it. Love is something else. Love, true love as it is defined by Scripture is so much more. In fact, John 15 defines it this way, says that greater love has no man than this, that a man would do what? He would lay down his life for his friends. This is a command of God that we love one another. Many times when we hear the command that we are to love one another, we think, okay, you know, I don't really like Anna very well. You know, she's so pretty in her red dress and she thinks she's all that. She's the pastor's daughter. I don't like her. Okay, but I'm going to pray. Oh, you know, God, help me to like her. That's not loving her. Just because you don't like her. Loving her is putting her first. You know, everybody's going to do something and you could be doing it, but you know, this would really be important to her. And even though you want this, you go, you know, Anna should do that. Anna should have that. Folks, we don't really love very many people. We love ourselves a whole lot because we go, how can I get to be that? How can I make people like me? How can I be the most important? How can I be the center? How can I have all that I really want? We're the ones who we love the most. Not other people. We talk about it a lot, but loving is what we do. How many of you spend your days making sure other people have the things that they need? Or do you really spend your real, whole life trying to make sure your life is pretty good? Andy read for us from 1 Corinthians 13, and it defines what love is, but none of us really want this kind of love because it's a lot of hard work. Everybody say, love is hard work. Love is not how you feel and think. And I know this may sound really elementary to you, but it's so elementary, we don't, we're, we're too stupid. We don't know it. Charity suffers long. How many, want, how many want to suffer long? I don't. You might say, oh, I do. No, you don't. Charity suffers long. Is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't put itself forward. It's not proud. I mean, if we dial into these things, you're going to find out that, yes, you actually aren't very loving. Charity doesn't behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek her own. Well, what are we supposed to do but seek our own? Isn't that what we do? If, we don't, if I don't look out for me, who's going to look out for me? 
If I don't make sure my family gets what it needs, who's going to do it? Folks, the secret in the kingdom of God is that if you don't seek your own, but you seek first the kingdom and you seek first the needs of others, you'll find out you'll get way more. But nobody wants to get way more like that. What you want to get way, the way you want to get way more is you just want to get way more yourself and make sure you get it. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. It's not easily provoked. It doesn't have evil thoughts about others. You know, sometimes we don't realize we're not loving when we assume others feel things and think things. And, and we assume we know why they do what they do. And, we, and we're mad about it already. I, I have found out that most people, the problems they have with other people aren't what they do. It's why they think they do them. And why is this? Because we don't love people. And if you love people when they did things, instead of going, well, they're doing, they do that because they don't like me. They do that because, you know, they think they're better than me. They do that because if, when you live like that, you show that you are not really a very loving person because you're thinking evil of them. Someone says something that hurts your feelings and you're mad about it. You're not very loving. Love is not easily provoked. You can insult love. A man who's loving, you can insult him. And he goes, well, you know, I'm probably worse than that. You see, we love ourselves so much that when someone accuses us of something, maybe we didn't do it. We get indignant. We get angry. How dare they think I'm that kind of person? How are they supposed to know you're not? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Folks, this kind of love is so rare that, it, that when we say love, it, it's like it doesn't really exist because no one's like this, right? But the thing about love is that love never fails. You see, the reason why people don't want to do love is because they go, well, you know what, if I go around loving everybody else, then well, what, how am I going to get what I need? I can't live like I can't let I can't be run over. I need some me time, right? I got to care about me. This kind of love that we're talking about that's so rare can be seen again and again in the story of Moses, but we miss it. Moses is the one that God sent the law through. He's the one who was on the mountain with God and all of its thunderings and lightning. And Moses' name is associated with harshness of the letter that kills. And when you think of him, you think of the, you know, maybe you think of Charlton Heston or maybe you think of this big imposing character. Maybe you think if I said, you know, what do you think I am, Moses? You know, somebody thinks what you mean, a tough, mean, hard man who represents death and judgment, right? That's not Moses. You see, Moses was so meek that, that the judgment of God, which is powerful and proud and hard and demanding, the judgment of God, the justice of God was gigantic and Moses was tiny. And so when we look, we think of Moses, we literally think of God's justice. And God's justice without his mercy is terrifying. You know how the writer in Hebrews said the guard God's a consuming fire? It's a, it's a wonder we're not all just burnt to a crisp, right? God can't just let men live however they want and say whatever they want and do whatever they want. And so Moses came to bring the law. And in bringing it, he became, he, he became personified in our minds as the message itself. 
But that wasn't the kind of man that he was. He was not rough. Think of anything rough and mean and nasty and hard that Moses ever did. You won't think of it. He was sweet. He was kind. He was loving. He was meek. And he was a, he was a loving man. Moses himself, and so much of what we see that love really is, Moses is a beautiful picture of love. The book of Exodus, which covers the life and the story of this man from the beginning of the end, is filled with acts of true love. There's one great act, and this is kind of a caveat, but it's a caveat because it, it encapsulates what I'm getting ready to tell you. I think some of you are going to really like this, so I want you to listen. You guys ready to listen to this? There is one act done again and again for every man who has ever lived that shows God's love for us and ensures that we see the picture no matter how impoverished we are of circumstance and material or whatever, no matter who we are, no matter where we live on earth, every single human being is given a great and humongous demonstration of what love is to start their life. You guys know what this is? Everybody say, it's called childbirth. Now, not every one of you get to do this for other people. Men don't get to do it at all, right? Women get to do this, but every man's had it done for him. Every woman's had it done for them. Every human being starts their life with the most selfless, painful, difficult, burdensome, blood-flowing, terrible experience from another human being. Think about it. I mean, it happens so much, we don't even think about it. I mean, can you understand that every nasty, selfish, worthless human being on this earth that is, you know, cares about nobody has had somebody be selfless and caring and carry their burden and suffer and come to the brink of death for them. Every one of them. And yet, that one thing I said is being born. Childbirth is a shadow of God's goodness. It is repeated in sacrifice and pain and blood and water for every man. Born in this act billions of times since the beginning of the world, someone does something so amazing, so self-sacrificing, so painful and dangerous for us before we can ever do anything for them and years before it could ever be possible for us to even thank them. Did you ever think of your life that way? You'd think we could never forget it, but we rarely even give it a thought. And then after that, to top it off, not only do they do this for us, but more often than not, they end up loving us more than any person ever will love you. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me. I guess, you know, God gives me forgetfulness so that I can remember, I can learn something again. And it's like the first time I've really thought about it. You almost think it would be enough. Exodus is a book about birth. Everybody say, Exodus is a book about birth. It starts with babies being born. These fearless, loving, self-sacrificing midwives risking, risking their lives to save the helpless little ones. 
It's about birth. It starts off with babies being born. Next we zoom in on one little Jewish girl who gives her little boy so much. She goes to the extraordinary measures to see him live. Not only does she give him the gift of birth, but she gives him uh, even more. Remember this? Exodus 2, there was a man in the house of Levi that took a wife and a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months. This was dangerous, but I don't think that this good woman, the woman filled with real love, I don't think that she regretted one moment of nursing this little fella upon her breast in secret, hiding him, cherishing him as a gift from God. That's what a mother does. She didn't have to be special. She didn't have to be a great mother. She did what a mother would do. Do you just give birth and hand your baby over? Do you just go, oh, it's all right. You know what? You know, I I can have another one. Or does a, or as a mother, know this what you do. If you've got to die, if you've got to suffer, if you've got to do whatever, I'm not giving this baby over to be thrown in the river or to be cut in half. It isn't going to happen. You don't have to be a good mother to want to do that. You just have to be what? Just a mother. Just a mother. When she could no longer hide him, she took him and she built an ark of bulrushes and she went the extra mile again. She pitched it with slime and pitch and she put the child therein and she laid it by the river's brink. Folks, this woman, this act of love is so selfless and so painful. Can you imagine taking your little baby, you know, that God's blessed you with, Jeff, and, or I should say Amy, since it's a mom, and putting him in a little thing and putting him in the water and just going, oh God, I want him to live so bad that I'm willing to put him there. Because I know they're going to find him and they're going to kill him if he's with me. And I love him so much. You know, whenever we're dealing with birth mothers and adoption, you may take them to this story because she loved him enough that she wanted him to live. So she put him in the basket. Because that's a very loving thing to do to know that even to be with you is too dangerous for your child. And so you give your child into a safe place. That's what mothers do. Solomon knew this when they were arguing over the baby and he knew the solution. I'll take a sword and cut it in half and I'll give one half. Oh no, don't do it. Give her the baby. Right? Why? Everybody say, that's what mothers do. You see, God gives us this love in mothers. I'm so glad Tammy's here to be with Christina today. I'm so glad that Mrs. Foisy's here to be with Steve because you're remembering these things, aren't you? The love. And and Steve, you can look and you can go, hey, you know, my mom did that for me. I started my life with that love. You know, people go, I didn't have this and this didn't happen in my life. You know what? Shut up. They carried you for 40 weeks. They nursed you. They loved you. They fed you. Their back hurt. Their body was in pain. They travailed in birth. They came to the brink of death. Their body split open and they were torn and they went through all of this for you and then cared for you. For they, Your work, if you don't do anything else, that's enough. Well, you know, I didn't get a BMX when I was 13 and, uh, you know, my mom didn't come to all of my wrestling practices. Really? The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash by the river and her maidens walked along and she saw it and she took the baby She saw the child and the babe wept and she had compassion on him. Pharaoh's daughter knew he was a Hebrew. 
Moses would know he was. Pharaoh's daughter said, take the child away, nurse it for me, and I'll give you wages. And the woman took the child and she nursed it. And so wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to get, you know, God, you, 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 you love the child so much that you give it away. And God is kind to do what? What he always does. What does God do when you love something enough to give it away and give it to God and to put it in his hands? What does God do? He gives it back. And now it's more hers. She could have had it in the privacy of her home for a while. But that would have been selfish. Because she had to put its needs ahead of her own. And so she gave it away. And so what did God do? God gave her a great gift. You see, the book of Moses is a story about love. It's about birth. And in the first 40 years of his life, it is defined as Moses, the man who was born of a loving woman, who was raised by his loving mother, a self-sacrificing mother. And in Egypt for 40 years, God was making a man. This is Moses, the man. The child grew, became her son, and she called his name Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Moses' mother loved him. She did not merely love the idea of him. She did not just feel deep feelings for him. She loved him when she gave birth. She loved him when she hit him. She loved him when she made a boat and floated it and guarded it. Love puts your personal needs below the needs of others. It puts you in danger. If that's what it takes for the one that you love to be safe, love does what is needed to be done. Bravery might have been a part of it, but I really think that true love is less brave and more helpless to do anything but do that thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, she was brave. No, she wasn't. She loved that baby. Oh, she was so courageous. No, she wasn't. She, she, wasn't cor- she wasn't courageous enough to resist the love that she had. I can't do it. I can't let him die. Love cannot ignore needs. James tells us, how, are you, how, do you, how does the love of God dwell in you? If you know your brother has needs, can you just go to sleep and forget about it? Can you just say, be warm, be filled. You'll be alright in the morning. God, go with you. James asked, how dwelleth the love of God in you if you are not tormented by the needs of others in a way that it makes you have to do something? Oh, you might say, well, that's not love. Oh, that is love. (laughs) Because when you love people, you will torment your... You'll you'll be like, listen, uh, Steve, I would love to say that I'm such a nice guy, but I'm not. I just can't help it. I can't see you live like this. I have to do something to help you. And it's not your fault. You didn't make me feel this way. I just can't help myself. Please just have pity on me. You see what I'm saying? That's what love is. You might go, I don't have that kind of love. You should pray for it. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing not only to do good, but to do that because you love people. That's how it's supposed to be. Not just because people won't, well, they'll look at you and go, he's not loving. It doesn't matter. If you have It doesn't matter what people think about you. Love cannot ignore the need. It is not sorry for what it does. It's sorry that it cannot do more. That's what love is. Love is not keeping a list. Oh, I did this for you and I did this for you. I've shown my love for Michael uh, enough this week, you know. And, well, I stopped by for five minutes and walked around and said, Hey, hope things are going good over here at your property. 
Love torments a guy and goes, you know, Michael Elliott's over there and I'm not. And he's not in his house and he's having to live with these people for all these weeks and he, they're wonderful hosts and, and, and they're kind, but like, I know this is not, you know. This is why we got to watch what we do when we're around loving people. We can torment them because they just want to love you. They just want to help. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what love is. It came to pass in those days when he was grown that he went out to his brethren and he looked on the, their burdens. You see, what has happened to Moses? He goes out and he sees the burdens of his brothers. And is he just like, you know what? I'm an important guy. Maybe one day when I get in politics, I'll pass a few bills. He sees their burdens. He sees them being treated like trash. He sees them being beat down. And he can't just not do anything about it, Tim. It's not a matter of he's tough. He thinks he's somebody. He cannot help it. The mother that his mother showed him and the mother that he was that raised him in this love passed this love on to him and he sees him suffering and he says, I got to do something about it. He looked this way and that and when he saw there was no man, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him. Moses loved the people. He knew who he was. He was raised by his mother and he would have been very aware, inspired by her love for him. Love cannot bear the pain of others. It makes it difficult not to relieve their pain. If there's any way to do it, this is what love does. Everybody say this is what love does. Mitchell and Shelby, you're here and it's at a good time in your life. You want to build your life on love. Build it on this kind of love. Not the kind of love that feels good about you when your hair looks nice and is, is good when you're feeling good and you can make special breakfast. Love is what you say is, you know what? In sickness and in health, till death do us part. So what? So what if you don't look like you did? So what if you don't feel like you did? So what if you don't have the joy that you had your mind to love? It comes in handy for mamas who are dealing with sick children and husbands who are discouraged. Who need their wives to love them. And we know the story of Moses, right? We don't have to hear it again. You kids, you've heard this. But we see another picture of it here. He leaves. He goes to hide from his crime because he shouldn't have done what he did. And he goes to the land of Midian. And the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and they drew water and they filled the troughs of water of their flock. But these shepherds came. Everybody say shepherds came. And they drove them away. But Moses stood up and he helped them. One man... Shepherds. So this one guy is outnumbered. This one guy sees some helpless girls who need protecting, who need cared for. And what does he do? He defends them and he fights these other shepherds. Now, I don't know if there were two shepherds or 20. I don't know. But Moses saw them being mistreated. And what did he do? He helps them. He drives them away. And then after he's done, you know what he does? He waters the seven daughters flocks love works everybody say love works love defends love protects that's what love does and we know out of this God blesses him with a good relationship with these people and he gets a wife Zipporah and the love of Moses brings him into a loving family and 
we go through the rest of the story. It came to pass in the process of time the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel sighed by the reason of bondage. And they cried and their cry came up to God by reason of it. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect to them. And what did God do? God sent them who? Sent them Moses. God so loved the Israelites that he sent them Moses to love them and to be kind to them. The next 40 years of his life in Midian, he was starting a family and he was learning to love. He was learning the humility of what it meant to be a servant of God. The first 40 years of his life was a time period of becoming a man. And the second was becoming a midwife. Everybody say a midwife. He was midwife of a nation. And he helped bring about their deliverance. And as I was reading the story, and I'll I'll, I'll throw this in here. I don't want to go too crazy or make too great a theological, uh, uh, you know, to draw strings where maybe they may not be there. But, you know, through, through many years of my life, Jason, I wondered why was Moses 40 years old? And then the next 40 years he's in Midian. And then the next 40 years he's with the children of Israel. You guys ever wonder about this? 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. There's three 40-year periods. There's 40 years in the desert, okay? There's 40 years before that in Midian, and there's 40 years in Egypt. Three 40s. Now, is there any people in here that know anything about childbirth? How long does it take to make a baby in the womb? From day one to the end. Everybody say 40 weeks. And it, I'm thinking a book that starts off with birth, that's talking about birth, and has some pretty incredible things in it, Tim. When they come out of Egypt, how do they come? Do they come right through a canal with water, right after the blood of the Passover? Blood and water? Come on now, you starting to track with me? And then when God takes them out of uh, the wilderness and He takes them into the promised land, how do they get there? The Passover of the blood, and they come through the water, right? And they go to the other side. These things, I'm telling you, they could be or could not be. But the 40 weeks of labor, a book that starts with birth, there is a birth of a man, there is the birth of a nation, and then there is the birth of their life into the promised land. There are three births that I see in the story of his life. And there are even some crazy analogies that, that we go. You know, we were learning that babies that are born C-section are a little bit different than babies that are born through the birth canal. Because they're that time where they are pressed into uh, the birth canal and the stress that goes on that, that we call difficult, they actually need it. And it presses out the ambiotic fluid in their body and gives them a start in life that is different. That's why a lot of times C-section babies, don't their, their lungs aren't, they don't develop in the way that a one that's pressed out because that baby's got to be squeezed out of all that stuff that's in that baby. And so God, what did God do at the birth of, of, of as, the, as they left Egypt and they left the sin, what did they do? They're squeezed out into this Red Sea, into this canal, and they're pushed out on the other side. So I won't get too crazy with it, but I think that's what's going on here. The next 40 years as he starts a family, he learns to love Now, if we look back at our word association game for just a few minutes, some of you, if you said the name Moses, you might say law or you might say death, lightning, fury, judgment. 
But that's not who he was. He was a picture of humility, intercession, and personal timidity because his meekness was God's greatness in him. You see, meekness is not shyness. Meekness is understanding God's power. The word meek to describe Moses, I've shared this with you before, it shows this great, powerful, wild stallion. It's this this word picture of meekness. And it shows it saddled and in control. Meekness is power under control. Moses was a conduit of God's great power. If any man ever lived was. Now, folks, there were prophets and there were people. I don't know too many people that raise a staff in the sea parts, right? I don't know too many people that walk up to Pharaoh and speak to him and the rivers turn to blood and, you know, all the plagues come down in the first. I don't know too many people that live like this. I don't know too many people that put their staff down and it turns into a snake and eats the staffs of the Egyptian musicians. Moses was a conduit of God's power. I don't know too many people that can go on a mountain in the blackness and thundering and lightning that if any man touched would be dead, who would glow in the presence of God and not die. Moses was a conduit of the great and mighty power of God. There are multiple occasions where this meek life, this conduit of God's power can be seen. Doing what love does. Not long after God delivered them from Egypt through the Red Sea, we know that God delivers the law on the mountain. But when he comes back, are they doing right? No, they're not doing right. They're doing horrible things. It's like they've gone completely crazy. You know, they're completely bound and they're slaves. And next thing you do, they're worshiping a golden calf and they run around naked. And they're doing horrible, ungodly things. And they need, something needs to happen, right? Deuteronomy 9. Now, whenever you're reading about this, this is actually in Exodus, but Deuteronomy 9 covers it. God talks about what happens through Moses to them. He's reminding them before they go in the promised land. He's retelling the story. So if you want to hear a great version of the story, don't just read the original uh, action of it happened, but read Deuteronomy 9 where God recounts to them what happened. Okay. Deuteronomy 9. The Lord said, arise, get thee down quickly from there. Thy people, which you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've quickly turned aside out of the way and they have made a molten image. God spoke saying, I have seen this people behold their stiff neck. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, Could you imagine if you had a staff and the Red Sea would part? Could you imagine if a cloud followed you around and blocked the sun for you? I mean, you kind of get a little bit, a little heady, right? It's like, hey, I'm the man, right? And so God's like, you know what? These are all, here you've been up on the mountain, you've been fasting, and you've been up on the mountain for 40 days, and you come down, you're glowing, that the people can't even hardly look at you. You're holy, you're carrying the stone of God in your hand with the law on it, and they come down, and these people are naked and running around and worshiping a golden calf from gold they made from their earrings. Kill them all, God. That's what we would probably be saying. Lord, you know what? I mean, God said it. God wants to kill them. And he's going to make me a mighty nation. Can you imagine Tammy just going, well, that's right. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to start with something, start with something good. I mean, I'm not like these people. That's not what he does, though. What does he do? Kill them all. No, that's not what he does. 
He said, I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets were in my hand. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord and made the molten calf, and you turned aside quickly from the way. I took the tablets, I cast them out of my hands, and I broke them. You know, this is interesting to me. Some of us, the way we are, we might be so careful to hold these stones in our hand. But Moses loved these people. He loved them more than he loved the stone. And he just threw it. You might go, well, that was sacred. That was, you, know, you know, God made more stones. Did he not? Moses put the people first. Moses didn't say, yeah, kill him, God. Moses didn't kindle in wrath. You know what Moses did? Moses intercedes for these people. Everybody say, that's what love does. You see, when we see people sin, we could look at them and go, you know that Jason, God's had a lot of good for him, but he just, you know, he doesn't, he's not thankful. We get angry with our children. We get angry with our church people and we're mad when they sin. Our children, what's wrong with them? They've been raised, they've been homeschooled, they've been loved, they've got better than anybody in the whole wide world and they don't even know it. These unthankful, unholy people. Ah! You ever have those feelings? Those aren't love. See, God's loved you with tenderness. You forgot all the dirt you did that if we saw on video, you'd be humiliated. What's wrong with these kids? The same thing's wrong with them was wrong with you. They didn't have someone like you. Verse 18, I fell down before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He doesn't eat bread. He doesn't even drink water. Folks, if you go 40 days and you don't drink water, you're dead, just so you know that. What's he doing? He's putting him, he's laying his life down for these people. He's not eating. He's not drinking bread. He's praying. He's interceding. That's what love does. Love fasts. Love goes without. And love intercedes. If you run out of food, Mitchell, you better give whatever food you have to that girl beside you. No, you eat it, Mitchell. Absolutely not. Be that kind of man. Love her. Put her first. I was afraid of the anger of the Lord. But the Lord hearkened unto me. Folks, love does the right thing even when it's scary. You know, Corey Ten Boom and their family, they knew that if they hid the Jews, they could die. But what did they do, guys? They did it. That's what love does. Love does dangerous things. The Lord was, you know, and we, we go on. Love does the hard thing. And then, so you know what he does next? And this is interesting because it's a picture of love. Michael, you remember this? He takes the golden calf, he grinds it into powder, and puts it in the water, and he makes them drink it. You might go, well, that doesn't sound very loving. Oh, it is. See, love forces the people they love to do the hard things they need to do. He was leading them in what? In repentance. This was a calf made of gold. It's nothing. I'm going to show you how nothing it is. I'm going to grind it in powder and you're all going to drink it. And you're going to find out. And so he leads them in repentance. Love does the hard thing. 
He mentioned another time in Deuteronomy. He said, you know, remember the other time that you rebelled? Verse, go down to verse 25 of Deuteronomy 9. He said, I fell down before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights again, like I did at the first. He goes, I did it again for you. Because the Lord said to me, he was going to kill you. I prayed unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people, which thou hast redeemed. Verse 27, remember your servants. Don't look at their stubbornness. Don't look at their wickedness. Don't look at their sin. You see, that's what love does. Love goes, hey, my brother Luke is in this trouble. And I know that he sinned. And I know he's in, oh, but God, please don't judge him. Lord, help him through it. Lord, bless him through it. Our heart and unloving hearts see the sins of others and go, you know what, I knew he wasn't all that he was supposed to be. This is why sometimes when we find out things about you, you think we're thinking bad thoughts about you. Folks, your, your leaders of your church love you. Your sin doesn't make it harder for us to love you. It makes it easier for us to love you. Because you can just be who you are and be done with it. Exodus 32 says this way, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have sinned a great sin. He said, But Lord, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book. I mean, could you imagine asking God that, Derek? You love your kids, don't you? You would pray for them like that. Oh, if you found out God was going to just kill them all. They, you, you went out of town and you were doing some work and you came back and they took over the house and they, you know, did horrible. I mean, what would you be like? Oh, God, Lord, forgive them. Lord, don't smite them, Lord. Right. And you're just on the front row. Okay. I'm not thinking that you're going to, that your kids are going to, you guys are great kids, wonderful kids. But you know, Israel sang about this for years. This, this act of humility, this act of beauty, this act of intercession. They sang about it for years. Psalm 106, verse 19. They made a calf in Horeb. They worshipped the molten image. They changed their glory to the similitude of an ox that just eats grass. They forgot God that had done great things in Egypt. Wondrous works. I mean, it wasn't bad enough. What they did was bad. They did it that bad after God had parted the Red Sea. It's kind of like our kids. It's, you know... We understand when other kids do bad things, but our kids, they've just had so much good. God's done so much for them. How dare they? And we're tempted to be angry with them instead of pray for them. They forgot their Savior. Wondrous works you did with them. Terrible things by the Red Sea. Verse 23, Psalm 106, 23. Therefore he sat down, said that he would destroy them. Verse 23, had not Moses chosen to stand before them in the breach to turn away his wrath, God would have destroyed us. In the desert, the people complained against Moses and God because they wanted a variety in their miraculous provision. Can you even comprehend this, Paul? Imagine if God rained down food for your family and fed you and you didn't have to go to work or anything and God just rained money and food and everything down and you said, you know... And your kids are going, Dad, this is so sad. Why don't we get to go to Disneyland this year? Like all of our other friends. What would you do? You'd be like going, oh, have mercy. Like what kind of children have our raised, right? So Moses is hearing them complain. And Moses gets this feeling. He's just like, I don't know how God's not going to kill them. They're laying in their tents. They're crying. Oh, 
Life is so horrible. When we used to live in Egypt, we had a variety of food. They had a variety of food. While they were being beaten, while they were being forced to build the pyramids, while they, yeah, while they were slaves. Oh, but we could eat all manner of really good stuff, and it was a variety, but we don't have a variety here. So you know what God does? He prays, Lord, please don't kill these people. <laughs> please don't kill them. Numbers 14. The Lord said to Moses, this is funny to me. God says to Moses, how long are these people going to keep provoking me? How long will it, will it be that they just are going to forget me? And they've forgotten all the signs which I've showed them. And I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them and make you a great nation. Here is God's doing it again. I want to kill these people. What does Moses do? You know what? I'm tired of it too. I've been hanging out with them for all these years. And they don't appreciate me and they don't like me and no one no one sends me pastor appreciation cards but Benita or I mean What's wrong with them, Lord? Kill them all. Moses said, But Lord, you know the Egyptians will hear about this and they'll say that you weren't able to save them. I mean, I cannot imagine talking to God like this. You know what he's doing? You know what he sounds like to me? He sounds like a mother. You know, Steve has declared, you know, okay, I'll move on to you. Heath has declared that all the children have been heathens and we're not going this year to the big thing that we were going to go to. That's final. And, you know, Christy, I don't know if this is your personality or not. You're kind of a tough gal. But it could be. And she go, Heath, come on now. You know, the kids have really been wanting to go. And, and, and you know, She's interceding, you see? And it's like, oh God, you know, the Egyptians are going to find out and, that, and, 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 and they're going to think that you weren't able. And, and, and don't you remember you promised that you would make a mighty nation out of these people? Remember that? That's what Moses does. They will tell the inhabitants of the land, Lord, if you kill this people, this is going to be bad. And so then he begins to praise the Lord For what he is hoping God is going to do. And he says, you know, I beseech you, let your power be great. For the Lord is long-suffering, great in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And by no means, though, clearing the guilty. Now, I realize they've done wrong, but maybe there's another way to deal with this. What is Moses doing? He's interceding for them. Verse 19, pardon, I beseech thee. The iniquity of this people according to thy greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And you know what God does in verse 20? And the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to thy word. Everybody say, love forgives. Can you see why I picked Moses? He's a loving man. He's an interceder. He, he, he's forgiveness. God has taken his life and made it a picture of love. And as they waited for the coming Messiah, they waited in love. There were times when he was frustrated. That's what my text was. He asked God, he's like, how long am I going to have to bury this burden? Am I going to have to carry this burden? What did I conceive them? Or am I like carrying them around? You know? And you know what? Moses' life ends. Tim, you might like this. His life ends. And I believe it is a picture, Christina, of him dying in childbirth. 
as they pass into the promised land and he doesn't get to go with them. It is like he died in childbirth. And he doesn't go over, but he's happy about this. They get to go into the land and he doesn't go. But that's all right. You see, that's what a mother does. That's what love does. And so God not only had them waiting and He's teaching them about love through birth, but how is it that love came, guys? It came how? It came through the birth of a little child. Just because Catholics overdo Mary, don't underdo Mary. God showed in her a woman who not only went through birth, but she had to go through the shame of people thinking she was a sinner. She had to go through worrying what her husband would think and the peril of maybe being killed for sin that she didn't even commit. And if this is how God brings the Word incarnate in flesh into the world, maybe we should remember on this day, this Christmas Eve, that love isn't something we feel or something we think, but it's, it's all the things that we do in love. Love forgives. Love intercedes. Love pardons. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Doesn't seek its own. If you don't have that love, you're missing the greatest gift that God has to offer us. For now abideth faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. It's love. It's love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love You so much for giving us a picture of your love and and every one of us has been born every one of us has someone who suffered and carried great pains and brought about uh, just for us to live what a gift we've been given from the very start the gift of life the gift of life which came so costly to another so painful so difficult made them so vulnerable and helpless and took so much from them Lord, may we see that that is what we are to do. We are to grow up and to be mature and to give birth. Not only in the physical, but in a spiritual sense. As we lay down our lives for our brothers. As we die daily. As we labor in the pains of birth. As Paul said he was. That, the, that your spirit would be formed in those that you have given us. Lord, may we labor like that for our children. May we love them like Moses loved the people of Israel. And may we indeed be filled with the love that only comes by the power of your Spirit. May this be our Christmas prayer today. In Christ's name we pray and all of the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.